Welcome to the Law of Startups podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, today, we are lucky to have on the show Drew Myers. Uh, Drew is a founder of a company that created an app called Horizon App, which is really cool. He, uh, he also does a lot of work in the, the real estate slash technology space, um, so he knows a lot about, about real estate tech. Drew, thank you for uh, being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Drew, so tell us, uh, kind of what, what are the things that are really capturing your imagination right now? And, and kind of tell us a little bit about you know, how you came to be where you are in your career. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've got my hands on all sorts of different projects, um, but the main project I've been working on uh, recently, uh, and I guess we've been on the App Store for probably about a year, is the Horizon app, which you mentioned, <coughs> which is best described as, uh, I mean, it's been, it's a constant iteration, but in, in the current version is best described as uh, Airbnb within your trusted network. So kind of finding trusted places to stay within friends, friends of friends, or communities such as the Peace Corps, Teach for America, University of Washington, kind of any membership association where there's some degree of trust and commonality. Huh, okay. uh, and the brand new ship, which actually literally our, our, the Apple update just got approved this morning, uh, nice. is the ability to kind of filter by accommodation type. And our, the new focus is on sublets. So a lot of people don't actually realize that 20% of Airbnb's business is stays of 30 days and longer. Wow. Um, yeah, so we're going after that kind of call it 30 to 120, 150 day stay market. So think travel nurses, PhD students, uh, accelerator programs, obviously every college student goes to, is that in, in that scenario of constantly needing new yeah. roommates and Yeah, I think, that, I think that's really smart. I think there's a lot of a lot of people just doing just that. They come to like they come for a short stint in a city and there there's like really no like good answer for them, right? I mean in the market that's specifically addressing that, at least that I'm aware of, maybe I'm maybe I'm out of market and don't know what I'm talking about. How many how right. many competitors are, are like hitting this thing just like you are? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously Facebook. A lot of people do it inside. There's tons of Facebook groups where okay. you go post for travel nurses or University of Washington housing or all sorts of uh, different different networks. And then uh, the fallback is one of two things for most people. It's either Airbnb, which you end up paying probably a 40% premium over Craigslist, or it's Craigslist where you end up kind of dealing with 20, 30. I, mean, I talked to some, one person that talked about 70 people on Craigslist. So, uh, I mean, when you're talking about shared accommodations and living with someone, it's a pretty high bar, right? right. So, like, right. dealing with random strangers is not really preferable by anyone because it's, like, it's really hyper-dating, right? you got to figure out, can I live with this person? Are they cool enough? Like, yeah. And then the whole financial side of actually, uh, are they going to pay me if you're the host? And kind of, are they, like, a criminal if you're the guest that's moving into someone's house? <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it's a cool, it's a really super cool idea. Um yeah, well, congratulations on on the progress on that. So on that. it sounds like it sounds like it's a mobile app. So did you are you did you go mobile first on this? Is it is it a mobile first app? Yeah. Did you, do you yeah, have we, a website too? How did we you, do. We did have a web version. So we have uh, we launched with an iOS version about a year ago, and we just launched kind of an Android beta probably three weeks ago, uh, and we've had a web version kind of well since our launch, but. Honestly, the web version was pretty much completely useless until probably about five months ago when we had a front-end engineer kind of put some of the key yeah. wrappers on it. Let's talk about that decision a little bit because I think it's kind of interesting. Most people that are building something like what you're building have to make that call as to whether they want to focus on the web first or the mobile side first or both at the same time. What, what, what caused you to focus on the, the iOS market first? Um, is that, yeah, give it, give it, walk us through that kind of thought process. Well, I mean, 
a big chunk of that was certainly as far as I mean iOS versus Android, the decision is uh, kind it's of a lot easier. Yeah, where is your demographic and where is your own network? Uh, because obviously you utilize your own network to get early beta testers and early adopters and. Uh, certainly within the U.S., I mean, it's crazy iOS-heavy uh, within tech and most of these communities. Um, so, yeah, you, know, your beta, you just felt like most of your beta users were, were Apple. Were Apple. Right. But, yeah, there's uh, some, there's some, I don't know if these numbers are true anymore because um, um, <clears throat> Android's de- developed quite a bit in the last several years, but it used to just be that even though Android was possibly up to 50% of the market, uh, all the money that was being spent, it was like the, all the, re- the really valuable customers were mostly on iPhone, and, and that the dollars being spent by iPhone customers were just so much higher than the dollars being spent by Android customers. That that even though Android was really, you know, uh, coming in strong and, and selling a lot of units, it still wasn't causing anybody to really want to make Android apps over iPhone apps, at least not yet. Right. I don't have the exact data, but I'd say within the U.S., you're probably looking at 65% iOS, maybe, at least within people I know. Probably, yeah, well, yeah. Within people I know, probably higher, probably like 75%. Well, the, the thing we were used to look at, again, this stuff is a little dated, but I mean, we used to say that, uh, you know, the Android people have their phones, but the iPhone people really use their phones. So, like, there, there's a ton of Android phones in people's pockets, but they're a lot, often in people's pockets that never use them for anything but phone calls and maybe email. And that, that for whatever reason, iOS was further along in terms of usability and that people that owned a f- iOS device were just a lot more likely to actually go into the App Store and, and use apps because it was easier I imagine it's easier now on an Android. It's a probably the gap is probably closed quite a bit, but but it's still the case that if you go into like a, a cell phone provider and you say what what do you got for me that's free, you know they're going to hand you an Android phone, and um, and so that's probably kind of the default phone for lots of people that really don't care about whether their phone is a smartphone or not, because um, they won't. I don't think they'll they'll give you a dumb phone anymore, right? If you go into a cell phone store, they're not going to give you like a flip phone if you. Uh, you know, right. whether you need it, whether you need or you want a smartphone or not, you're probably going to get one. And if you don't care one way or the other, you're going to probably end up with Android. Well, you know what's fascinating about this whole phone issue is that if you think about like the the smartphone, um, I mean, pretty soon it's going to be like it's like going to be like uh, flip flops and toothbrushes. I mean, everyone in the world is going to have one, right? Yeah. Seriously, it's already I mean, rapidly approaching that. I mean, yeah. it's absolutely nuts if you think yeah. about that. That's pretty. That's pretty astounding. It'll be like it'll be according to the folks at uh, Andreessen Horowitz who like do great like podcasts and blogs. I, one of them said something like, "It's going to be um, it's going to be technology's first universal universal product." Anyway, I don't know. Interesting, right? Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like so so you focused on mobile. Um, you worked on the mobile app, and then the web app kind of probably uses a lot of the same back end. So that kind of tagged along after. Um, yeah, I think that's that's an interesting decision. I'm I'm kind of. Uh, I'm, I'm working on some stuff right now, and I've, I've been debating. I've always done mobile first because mobile's my, my background, but I'm working on something now that's more web-focused, and, and I feel like things may be shifting back toward the web in a way that, uh, that they weren't before, at least, at least based on the kind of stuff that I'm working on. just seems yeah. like um, it, the tough thing about mobile is you, you lose a lot of control over, over how you find your customers and how you get them to download the apps because they all have to go through a particular, um, you know, in, in the case of iPhone, they all have to go through the App Store. Right. Um, but you know, there's a huge audience there, so it's it's tricky. But, is your app free? I mean, mobile, yeah, it is. Uh, mobile downloads is a really, really high bar to get over, and I mean, we certainly see in our own data, uh, people find Horizon and go log into the web version, and they may. I mean, obviously, they they have either an iOS or an Android, but like they just use the web version because they are hesitant to go go download another app. So, 
you have to figure out the right way to kind of upsell them from that experience to convince them that, hey, the mobile version is actually better. And it is, right? But, but you've got to market that to them and convince them. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a lot easier but to I get them to smart, log though. into a web version. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's smart to go mobile. I mean, so you basically went mobile first. Yeah. And I think that's smart. I think that's the right way to go today. I don't know, Mike. You, probably, you may disagree. I don't know. Well, I've always I've always done mobile first. Uh, that's just kind of my my interest, and and it does seem like that's the best way you know to get attention for the for your app is uh you know and, and most people huge number of people are interacting with the internet just on their phone anyway. So I mean you kind of have to have something that functions well on a phone. Um, but more and more I'm thinking, you know, my thinking is coming around to, you know, actually needing a pretty good web presence too. Um, you know, most of the apps that I've done in the past. You know, it's just an app. You know, there's maybe a landing page website that kind of describes what it is. But um, more and more, we're we're thinking we got to have like a you know actual strong web web presence that we can market to try to drive sales through through some channel other than the the app store, so that we can um, do that. Now, now I haven't do, do don't have that launched yet, so I don't know if that's yeah. going to pan out the way I hope it will. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, for the audience, Drew Mike does uh, relaxation apps. He's got like a relaxation app. And you started mobile first on the on the iPhone App Store. Now you're trying yeah, to migrate. We talked about this, and yeah, I don't know if we've talked about this in a long time, but yeah, yeah. For, for the sake of people that have been listening to the podcast for a while and, and don't quite know what I do, um, when I'm not practicing law, I have a series of uh, relaxation and meditation apps, and uh, in the process of, of building out a, a larger um, subscription platform that'll end up being more like a Netflix for for relaxation and meditation stuff rather than what we've done in the past, which is just you know apps, individual apps that you buy to meditate. Um, anyway, enough about enough about me. <laughs> anyway, so so Drew, okay, so Horizon app sounds pretty neat, and so you've got you've got an update in the iOS store, and that's going to be approved pretty soon. Yeah, well, it's approved this morning, so oh, it's live on the store right now. Oh, yeah. wonderful. Okay, yeah. okay. So, so it's been listening. the it's been the biggest weakness of that for a long time about okay. just the in well, not the inability, but the inefficiency of actually finding a, a potential host with the right type of accommodations. Okay. So previous cool. to the update today. To find the people with sublets, you would have essentially had to go look at Seattle, look at, click on every single profile, yeah. and, and see if that was sublet. Click back, click the next profile, and now you can actually just filter and oh, that's only great. show you people the two people that have sublets. Okay, I'm excited to see it. I think, yeah. yeah, I'm excited to see it. I uh, I remember on some prior iterations I was on your uh, test light, but anyway, yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited to play with this. This, yeah, sounds, this sounds neat. It's been a constant iteration, uh, and it's probably useful background for the audience to know that. I mean, like I said, we've been on that for a little bit over a year, and previous to probably about I don't know a month or two ago, like we did enough. We've done a couple like iterations of iOS app. Today was kind of the the last big piece of that okay. to, to shift towards sublets. Yeah, but previous to that, we were more focused on the uh, essentially couch surfing inside trusted networks. So okay. short term, one to four day stays, no money changing hands, uh, kind of the community putting that inside, again, same, same concept, put that right. inside of existing networks. But what we found from that uh, kind of year uh, was it's a really severe one-sided marketplace of incentives, right? On the traveler side, massive incentive to like not pay for accommodation, right. to get community and culture right. and all the stuff that you get when you stay with someone. Right. But on the host side, there's little to zero incentive to do anything other than you do in the real world already, which is answer your phone when someone asks you. Right. Like we didn't have people kind of pounding down our door saying, "Hey, I want to fill up my couch for free this week." <laughs> right. So, like, I mean, there's a market for that, for for sure. I mean, Couchsurfing yeah. is 10 million people, right? And, like, I mean, I, I believe there's an opportunity that's at least 10 times the size of that if you solve trust. Uh, but that said, it's a very slow-growth business because 
A, travel is infrequent, and B, there's really only one side thinks there is a problem. Right. Well, with travel, once people, I mean, one thing about travel is people will spend on travel. Right. So, but maybe, um, I mean, who knows? I don't know. It's interesting. Um, so you guys did Startup Chile, you and your co-founder? Yep. Tell yeah, us about Startup that. Chile was a, a great experience. So uh, some of the background, uh, well, I guess it's also some probably useful context to know that Horizon's actually our second attempt at solving the same problem. So we, we built a separate app in uh, 2012 and 2013, which was more or less four square at the city level. Uh, and then kind of after that, we that kind of ran out of my own money to self-fund that thing any longer, and it wasn't really scaling. We had kind of a year in the middle uh, about just trying to figure out are there other like product approaches and strategies and incentive systems, or like how do we actually build something that can work and scale and deliver community anywhere you go? Uh, and so that took about kind of a year of consulting work and iterations, and then we got to the point where we're like, well. Okay, we get. We're going to try this kind of private couchsurfing approach, uh, and did some designs and like applied to startup Chile. This was spring. I was actually in Colombia with my co-founder Will in uh, yeah, March of 2014. So you guys just, you guys yeah. just this, this just a, this idea just you were inspired. How were you inspired to like want to go? Well, I mean, I'd say it's a it's a long mix of uh, lots of travel. Uh, I mean, I'm self-professed travel, so you're a travel, travel addict. Travel addict, okay. yeah. <laughs> uh, so I mean, I travel all over the world. Yeah. Kind of talked to tons and tons of travelers. Seen real a big part of this is kind of really understanding and seeing poverty with your own eyes. Um, and I've, I've seen that and. I think the the core mission of Horizon and really of Oh Hey World too, like um, the, the long term mission, really is to get more people to go experience the world with their own eyes, uh, realize that kind of certainly for us that live in the, the developed world, right? Like honestly, the life we live is a fairy tale to the vast vast majority of the world, um, and I just know that kind of people that travel and see the world with their own eyes, they live their life differently than those that don't. <clears throat> and uh, you're more likely to kind of um, work on projects that impact society rather than just say pad your own pocketbook. Yeah. So like that's the the deep long term mission yeah. and kind of the strategy behind that as far as how do you how do you actually get there get more people to travel is I actually don't believe the industry rhetoric that the two reasons people want to travel are time and money. Yeah. Uh, I think it actually boils down to lack of community being the real underlying reason huh. because I think it's proven that. Uh, if you have a global community of friends and kind of Peace Corps volunteers or whatever network you belong to and yeah. it's global and they're totally willing to accommodate you and like urge you to go on trips, like those people travel and they, they make sacrifices, right? It's not like they just don't do some of the things that other people do, um, but it's not that they can't travel, right? Most people just don't have that trusted network around the world. And it's if you're if there's people to welcome you and you realize that hey I've got someone a cool person to go hang out with yeah. in Kenya like you're gonna you might go actually do that trip yeah yeah that sounds that, that sounds like I mean I don't know you've obviously given this a huge amount of thought yeah and so uh, so how, how much uh, how much writing have you done about this uh, a lot <laughs> yeah no it sounds like you've like really thought out a lot of things here and that, that actually like, yeah I mean I've been writing online for kind of ten years starting back when I was doing social media marketing and community for Zillow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, what, what I guess what excites me about your business is that it's informed by all these different, uh, maybe you call them philosophies or yeah. <laughs> maybe their points of view or something. But anyway, I mean, I think that makes the business a really exciting one to watch. Yeah. So you have a background in real estate, right? So tell me, how, how did you come to, to fall, find your way to this app? 
And, and, and how does it, I understand you're kind of moving more toward the sublet market. So it sounds like things are kind of coming back around to, to real estate after all again. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Horizon's self-funded and I've, I mean, I pretty much have self-funded the whole thing with consulting work in the real estate industry. I've run a real estate technology blog called Geek Estate since we launched it while I worked at Zillow actually in 2007. What was the, what was the URL? Geekestateblog.com. How do you spell it? Uh, like just geek, G E E K estate blog.com. Okay, geek estate blog.com. Yeah. Okay, got it. Okay. So we launched that while I worked at Zillow, and it's crazy to me that that blog's been around since 2007. It's a long yeah. time. Yeah. Um, but it's fairly well read in, in the real estate circles. Like, I mean, no one outside real estate knows what it is, which right. is fine. Right? Yeah. But the, the audience is heavily real estate tech entrepreneurs and tech savvy agents, brokers, some MLS industry executives, and uh, pretty much all my consulting projects have come from people that read that blog yeah. and Interesting. have known yeah. me for a long, long time. So. Yeah, that's cool. That's a cool story. Mike, I don't know of anything comparable for, for the legal industry, do you? <laughs> How do you mean? Like legal, like a blog around the legal industry? Well, a blog, blog around technology, just like folks totally on like oh, just technology like used. How to use technology in How to use technology in the law and cool, yeah. cool, cool evolving technologies in the law. I don't know you if anyone's start that. I don't know if anyone's done that. I'm just... Not that I'm aware of, yeah. but that's kind of what Geek Estate Blog is for the real estate industry. Like real estate people who are really like focused on technology and how to use it to make their business big, you know, bigger, better, right, more enjoyable. And I'd say it's, it's certainly recently it's skewed a little bit more towards kind of the the real tech audience around entrepreneurs and people that work in the industry. And um, just because my my passion is kind of the entrepreneurship and technology side, and I'm I'm not out there every day talking to real estate agents, right? I mean, I have tons of friends that are real estate agents, obviously, all over the country, and I still like speak to a lot of them. But right. I'm more interested in the technology side of the, the business, and the people that really, really care about are the entrepreneurs trying to break into that industry. Sure, sure. Okay, so tell me what you think, like the most inter- interesting sort of like technology, you know, evolving thing going on in real estate, isn't it? I think there's there's a couple. I, I think uh, one is I think something really, really interesting is going to happen in the public CMA space. So okay, help real, us out. Public CMA. Public. Yeah. So I mean, real estate uh, comparative CMA market means. analysis. Okay. Right. So we're, like the agents going and doing real evaluations of actual house values. Right. Okay. Uh, one by one, not a kind of a completely automated approach. So I think someone was going to figure out the right way to put a marketplace around that. Right. I mean, it's obviously it's proven that a real agent knows a home better than say Zillow knows a home. Right. Because Zillow is a computer. Essentially, the assessments are computer. Uh, Algorithm, right? Uh, and there's nuances on the ground that you just the computer is never going to figure it out, right? Right. <clears throat> and so I think something interesting will happen in there, and there's a bunch of people making some various attempts at it. Uh, Sherfield has done some recent stuff. Um, I think another interesting opportunity is in the. I think something pretty cool will happen in the pocket so, so listing pause, space. Pause, pause on that one for a minute. Um, so you know what's funny about that is we had a um, we had a guest on the show not too long ago, and he was talking about um, how there were people in the cloud, and meaning like you know ways. You know you're using ways, and ways is a computer, but like. The, the guy who was just driving that road before you is the guy who signaled that there was a policeman on the road. So essentially, yeah. you're putting like in the Zillow cloud, you're going to put some people in there. You're going to put some agents to to help make the make their assessments better. I mean, or it's, or you know, that's the that's the idea. Yeah, yeah. And okay. I, I, I think I think the right. Well, I mean, if I was a broker or a franchise in the real estate industry, uh, what I would do is go really take a very, very heavy approach of essentially blanket an entire HOA, an entire neighborhood, like get real agents to go do real CMAs on every single house in the, in the area 
and essentially give them your own Zillow that's actually driven by real agents, right? It's that's a very long-term strategy because that's super time-intensive, and like most agents don't want to just go do do that for free for houses for, right? I mean, hundreds of houses or whatever yeah. it is. But uh, that's a way to differentiate and deliver the consumer. I always think about the consumer win. Like, how do you give the consumer a win? And that's the only way uh, you're going to kind of get real adoption and break the mold of having to essentially pay the Zillows and Trulios and Realtor.coms for leads. <clears throat> huh. Interesting. Uh, Mike, what do you think about it? Yeah, it sounds uh, sounds interesting. I don't know. It it seems like it might be tough to get so many people out there to to do the uh, the analysis. But I guess you know if, if it's going to get them eyeballs or, or you know somebody's going to have to. There's a lot of hustle in that industry. Uh, yeah, know? and that's I mean what you just mentioned is exactly the kind of uh, pushback I've gotten from agents or brokers that I've talked to about the concepts. And that pushback is exactly the reason that they should do it, is because it is hard and it's, it is defensible. <laughs> oh yeah, that reminds me of an article I read today. Sometimes the obstacle is the, uh, God, it was something, it was something I, sometimes the obstacle is the lesson or something, I don't know. It was, right. like, it was all that, hey, when you run into something really hard, maybe that's actually where you're supposed to stop and just trying to, rather than trying to avoid it, actually stop and really focus on it. Right. <laughs> Right. It's pretty funny. Uh, and then, so the two other opportunities, I think something will happen in the pocket listing space, uh, kind of residential sales opportunities inside trusted networks, yeah. kind of off-market stuff. Tons of people are making all sorts of different uh, like approaches, product-wise and strategy-wise against that. And, and then I still think the next like, massive, massive consumer win in the industry is uh, giving the consumer real kind of advice on the consumer's terms and not on the industry's terms. <clears throat> so what I mean by that, that is obviously, I mean, to go all the way back 10 years of like Zillow's strategy to go into the real estate industry in the first place was there was house values before Zillow and you could put in your contact information, an agent would call you, spam you, whatever, like you're, you're into a system. It's a and lead selling, a lead right, selling right, business. Exactly. So most consumers, they want, everyone wants home values, but they don't want to go through that, right? Uh, I'd say everyone wants, at least if you're buying, selling, renting, like everyone wants real trusted advice from actual professionals that know what they're talking about, but they don't want to put their email address or phone number into something and put get put into a, a spam system for eternity, which is what, I, I mean, I'm hesitant. It certainly, I, I, I mean, I've been abroad and like contacting places to rent and stuff. I'm always terrified of like, well, I know what happens on the back end of this. Right, you go into marketing systems, and then I'm on some stupid list for years that yeah. I don't know how to get off of. Uh, so take that it's same pretty, it's strategy. Pretty it's pretty I have a, a friend of mine that does um, all real estate software as well. He he did for a long time. He he has a company that did um, all kinds of um, services for real estate agents. Like basically, it was like um, the ability to to have like a map online to show you know sort of like if if a real estate agent wanted to have their own app. They could they could use his technology to kind of power that, and that's sort of become a little bit um, commonplace now. But he's now working on a thing that's uh, that's like a um, it's like it solves the issue that you were just talking about. It's kind of like this. Um, I'm trying to think what the name of the company is that does it for cars, but basically you, you would go online if you want information about selling your house. You put your information in, and it puts you in touch with some agents, but it's all anonymized, so the agents can't communicate with you other than on the right. website so when you whenever you're done or you feel like you don't want to talk to them anymore you just like leave the website and they have no way to keep hitting you um right yeah. so so <laughs> i think someone will figure that out and, and again the the pushback i've gotten from people in the industry is well i the consumer demand on that is 
I don't think there's really any question that like if you give them the right environment and you offer them a way to get real answers, they're going to do it and not go through lead forms. Like I think that's pretty straightforward side of the equation. But the side of the equation that's not so straightforward is how do you incentivize agents and brokers to actually respond to this in a personal way without right, right. contact information from people. Well, I think you're, you're involved in some really neat things. You've got travel, real estate, philosophy of, of life and how people should travel and have friends in other countries and experience the world in an upgrade, you know, in a, in a real way. And I think you're right. A lot of people, we look, we're pretty sheltered here in America. Yeah. Yeah. It's, very, very, very sheltered, especially the tech uh, ecosystem. Hey, you guys, you guys want to hear my real estate uh, business idea? This is free for anybody that wants to use it. <laughs> <laughs> no, we love it. We love it. Uh, so this is one I thought about a while back. Uh, so I'm, a, I'm, a, I, I have a real estate a broker's license that I got a long time ago, uh, back back when I was buying my first house. Um, and because because I'm a lawyer, I can I can get through some of the jump through some of the hoops easier to get that license. So so anyway, so I, I've dealt with real estate brokers and agents try, in this process where you're trying to like go look at houses. And um, and the way it works, I don't know if it's changed in the last couple of years, but the way it, the way it worked as of a few years ago was, if you wanted to see a house, you went on onto the website, you looked at like who was listing the house, and you looked at their phone number, and then you called that phone number and you said, "Hey, I want to show your house, or I want to come look at your house," and then you'd set up a time with them over the phone, and it was a huge hassle because it's like most of the time you get a machine. And so it's like so, – so the idea was uh, you create a system using like Twilio or something like that where you basically like you initiate a request for some times that's based on times that you're available. And it's all automated so that the other agent gets a phone call and there's basically a robot on the other end that says, hey, we have somebody that wants to look at your house. We need to get you – you know, does this time work for you? And they say yes or no. Does this time work for you? And they say yes or no. And it's kind of like a pain in the ass for the person who gets the phone call. But it's super easy for the person trying to schedule it. And then, and then you sell something to people. So basically, it's kind of inconvenient and annoying for all the people that aren't on the system because they keep getting calls from this robot that wants to set up scheduled appointments with them. But if they pay you and get on board, then they can set something up where they have their times available. Uh, and then this stuff happens automatically without them having to answer the phone. So it's like from a sales process, you yeah, just have so to like sell it to enough people. There's some, definitely some scheduling software that just sort of where you can just tell like it, it yeah, adjusts yeah, automatically. Keep, keep, your, keep track of your calendar and do the, do the scheduling behind the scenes. But what I thought was interesting about the business model was that it's, it's like super annoying to everyone that isn't in the system because they're getting calls all the time from this robot that's basically saying we need to schedule you. And the reason you're getting calls from this robot is because you're not in the system. And like it, it's sort of like it's sort of like you have a choice. You either you either pay five bucks a month or twenty bucks a month or whatever it is to be on board, or you right. just have to answer calls from robots all the time because everybody else is on board. Yeah, like you should look at a curb curb call. Curb yeah, call. do they curb do calls? that? Uh, not exactly, and I haven't looked at them super recently. My friend Seth is behind the company, uh, but it really the the earliest iteration was kind of Uber for real estate, and it was kind of going around scheduling showings. It seems like an inefficiency that's like crazy. That, that industry in general, I, I think that's why there's so many great startups in the in the real estate space. Is that it seems like it's just it just lags in a lot of ways on technology. So it's just got a lot of problems to solve. Well, there's lots of inefficiencies. Not- a lot like the legal business. Le- the legal industry is terrible in terms of like all the inefficiencies that that could be solved by technology. But I think real estate agents, some of them are really tech savvy and some of them aren't. And the same thing with lawyers, some of them are really tech savvy and some aren't. And it's kind of it's um. Yeah, there's just all these spaces where if, if they could just adopt technology, things would be more efficient. 
Yeah, on the, I mean, on the real estate side, the biggest uh, kind of reason behind that, from my perspective, is the in, like infrequency of actually that happening, right? If something that only happens every five or seven years in someone's life, yeah, it's very hard to change things. <laughs> so that's why most of the kind of real innovations happen in the kind of investor circles who do it all the time, right? And then slowly they that sort of stuff migrates to the residential side. Hmm. Um, and travel is the same thing, right? Most people travel travel two, three times a year. Very infrequent activity, and that's the hardest part of the travel industry as well. Is like, well, how do you make people remember you from the nine months or ten months or eleven months that they're not traveling? Right. And so that next time you they go on a trip, that they actually remember you nine months from now. Yeah. Huh. Well, you know, Disney's trying to help solve that problem by. Uh, Whenever you sh- whenever, apparently, whenever you book a trip to like a Disney park, you get in, in advance of your uh, attendance there. They send you, uh, a, you know, a set of bracelets to wear while you're in the park. Yeah. And so everywhere you go in the park, they know who you are. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> like you, you order dinner in advance, where when you arrive, your dinner's ready, and they know who you are. Yeah. It's kind of fun. It's kind of interesting. I don't know. Like it's a top, it's a lot of interesting things going on in tech. Um, so, Mike, I yeah, I don't know. I that, that was your free your free real estate free business idea, idea to the world. Yeah, <laughs> anybody that wants to run and grab that and run with it, I'm not a yeah. Well, so seriously, if you think about like like how to create a, how to create a business, we'll find something that the consumer finds really annoying, like waiting for a cab or you know whatever, and just try to like re- just like remove the annoyance, remove the annoyance, make it easier for the consumer to consume. If you and that's the, that's one thing that like I think a lot of businesses have yet to catch up on. There's still a lot of room there. So I just make it easier to buy stuff. Like, you know, let me walk out of the store and let the machine just charge me in the background. Why do I have to stop and talk to somebody? I don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. I don't want to talk to anybody. Seriously, like uh, that's why I go to an ATM. Like uh, I'm an introvert. I don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard though. So it's inter- interesting and hard. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of fun ideas. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess this this call this has gone by so fast. Uh, anything uh, anything you want to add before we we check out in terms of like uh, advice for other people that are starting companies in the real estate space or um, you know just uh, any any words of wisdom for folks that are following in your footsteps? Well, I mean, I think there's two two uh, two points on that. I guess one is like more of a generic. Uh, I usually tell people kind of. Be insanely, insanely focused on kind of the why you're doing it, but don't necessarily be tied to the actual how you're going to get there. Uh, and I think too many people get married to specific uh, approaches. And we got we did the same thing, right? I mean, we built our second, I mean, Horizon's our second product, and we, we spent a long time, but I mean, we're on our probably 10 different concepts. <laughs> Uh, keep keep changing, like keep keep you know iterating. Is that, yeah, so is that the advice. Like, that, uh, that's the generic advice, I think, in the in the real estate context. And I mean, I talked to lots, lots of entrepreneurs in the industry, and everyone's trying to figure out how how do you get this in front of the hands of the right people, and like how do you kind of disrupt the industry, and like all that sort of stuff. Um, and uh, you've got to kind of figure out the right incentive systems. Like, I, I mean, I've really come to believe now that I've been doing my startup for three years in some capacity, uh, it really all comes down to how do you align incentives in the right way. And the real estate industry has a million real estate agents out there talking to people every single day. Uh, and like it's very hard to kind of counteract that strategy, right? As far as how do you get people to go FISBO or sell without agents or on a discount or like, uh, it, like the incentives are not aligned to agents kind of helping you do that. 
Uh, so most people kind of like keep trying to fight that. And Red, I mean, Redfin's been fighting that for 10 years, right? And now they're kind of more back into more of a traditional model. Yeah, that's, it. that's really interesting. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Drew. It's been really yeah, fun. Tell us, how can people find I, I assume if they search for Horizon on the App Store, is that the best way to find it? Is there, is there a, a place that we should point people to? Well, if you're searching on the App Store on iOS, you'll need to search for either Horizon Space Travel or Horizon Space App. Uh, and anything else, it's horizonapp.co which it has a link to the Android version from there. The Android version is still kind of technically in beta, so it's not publicly on the uh, Play Store, but it's like privately click a link on our button and you'll be a beta tester. Yeah, and that's a really nice app. I just downloaded just down it. Hey, thank you, Drew, so much for, uh, for being on the show. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being on, and thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you all next week.